Well, it is good to be back with my church family. Uh, I don't know if you guys feel the same way or not. I'm getting a little away from Clint over there. Good to see you, Clint. But uh, you guys are family. Um, my wife and I were on staff here from about 2010 to about 2013, uh, where we did, uh, we, uh, did a, uh, an internship. Uh, and in 2013, we were approved as missionaries with the Baptist Bible Fellowship to go to the field of Taiwan. And since that time, we've left our home uh, and our friends, and we've been traveling the road. We've been traveling uh, full-time. We've been uh, here, there, and everywhere. Some people have asked, how many states have you been in? And I, I've kind of lost count after a while. Uh, I know that we've put about 100,000 miles on our car in the last three years, and it's been a, it's been a great journey along the way. Uh, but we've been able to raise uh, a funds for the ministry. We're trying to uh, go through this pre-field process called deputation, uh, and what we're doing is we're raising funds through uh, churches and those who, uh, who see, catch the vision of what we plan to do as church planners in the uh, uh, island nation of Taiwan, just 100 miles off the coast of China. And uh, so we are, are excited to tell you guys that uh, as of this last spring, uh, we are nearing 80% of our funds. Uh, so we are still on target to reach the field by January of this coming year where we plan to uh, move our family and all of our belongings uh, over to the capital city of Taipei to work with uh, veteran missionaries John and April Flowers, uh, who are actually, I just talked with him yesterday, he sends his greetings, says hello to y'all, uh, thank you for your support and your prayers for their ministry, uh, they're planning on coming back uh, in August uh, to do a little bit of R&R uh, &R and a little bit of reporting to their churches, and then they're going to be back, going back to the field in December to prepare for our arrival in January, so it's exciting times. Uh, for those of you that know us, uh, you say, yeah, I, I, I'm excited. Uh, for those of you who are new, and there's a lot, I see a lot of new faces in here, uh, I, I'm a stranger to you, so I hope that I'm able to meet you uh, this morning, uh, be able to kind of uh, uh, develop a relationship with you, because we see Sunshine as our, as our home church uh, and as our, as our sending church, but more importantly, as our family. Uh, and we're so excited to be here with you, uh, be able to uh, uh, minister to you uh, this morning, uh, and tonight and Wednesday night. And if I can just do a little plug uh, for our services these next few uh, days while we're here in town with you, uh, tonight we're going to be continuing the series that we're going to be starting this morning, and that's on the book of Habakkuk and answering the question, what do you do when God seems unfair? So I want to ask you guys, if you haven't already considered it, if you haven't already maybe made up in your mind that you're going to do it, I want to invite you back tonight. Because tonight, and I want to invite you back Wednesday night. We have services on Sunday night and on Wednesday night. Uh, and what I want to be able to do is be able to give you the whole complete picture uh, of, of what do you do when God seems unfair? How do you respond? What do we do uh, in, in the world that seems unfair? Uh, but when, what do we do when that rock, that solid foundation of, of our God, he seems to be unfair? How do we respond? So I want to invite you back tonight. If you haven't already thought about it, be here tonight. Be here Wednesday so that you're able to get the complete picture of what to do uh, as we look through the book of Habakkuk. You know, the, wor uh, the, the world we live in and the life that we live uh, is full of all kinds of unanswered questions. I don't know if you've ever thought about some of this. Maybe some hard questions uh, that you just can't really uh, put, put, put the, the, the head on, on, on the nail. You can't really hit the head on the nail. Questions like, um, why is it that we say that an alarm clock is going off when it's actually coming on? You ever thought about that? Why is it that we say that? Why is it that we say um, that, we, that, that we, when we're driving, uh, we drive on a parkway and we park on a driveway? 
Anybody, anybody ever thought about that? These, these, these difficult questions that we seem to face in life. Uh, how many of you guys have ever thought about the, the fact that what, when we have a really good night, it's, let's say we get, we get 10 hours of sleep, and it's, it's, it's amazing, and, and we sleep all the way through the night, and, and we say, man, I slept like a baby, right? Why do we say that? Because those of us who've had children or those of us who've been around children know better, right? We know that kids, they seem to wake up every two or three hours and need some kind of attention for you and, and may, d demand that you get up with them, right? So why do we say that we sleep like a baby when most of us know that, that babies don't sleep like that? What, what's, what is, what's up with that? All these, these, these hard questions in life. And uh, to be a little bit more serious, really, sometimes we have spiritual questions. Spiritual questions that, are just, that just seem hard to answer. And, and the questions really aren't geared for other people. Really, uh, are, are one uh, target of our questions, are, are w the one, uh, the one uh, uh, direction, if we have a reason of what we're asking, is that we're not asking uh, questions uh, at someone. We're asking questions to the one, to, to God. We have some questions that we have uh, for God. And as we look through the book of Habakkuk to this morning, tonight, and Wednesday night, we're going to look at uh, Habakkuk and his questions that he had for God. You know, there's a man in the, in the Bible, his name is Habakkuk, and he had a, a hard question that he was going to ask God. And today we're going to be looking at, uh, at the book of Habakkuk, a little bit about that question. But the driving question, I hope that you got uh, um, some kind of bulletin this morning or something in your hands, you're able to take notes. Uh, but if you're taking notes this morning, the driving question that's in Habakkuk, ultimately, uh, which uh, became basically the theme uh, of this first chapter, and even uh, we could go as far as to say as the theme of the book, uh, is the question, why doesn't God seem fair? Why doesn't he seem fair with how he treats his people, with how he treats uh, the world? And the very beginning of the book of Habakkuk starts with this question. Before we read it, though, Let's ask the Lord to, to bless the reading of his scripture, uh, to open up our minds, to illuminate us, to teach us something new from his word that we can take home with us and that we can live a lot more like Christ. So let's do that together. Let's pray together as we go into, uh, into the scripture. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you for this opportunity you've given us to, to come into your house this morning. God, I ask that you would give us clarity, that, Father, that you would give me clarity to be able to preach uh, the word of God as it is written. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would do the work in the hearts of both believer and unbeliever here this morning. Uh, Father, that he would uh, uh, keep uh, limit, up, limit the distractions, Father, that we would be able to be uh, honed in and zoomed in for what uh, your word has to say for us this morning. Father, I pray that you would teach us something new, perhaps something we've never considered this morning. But God, I pray that we would not just walk out of this church wiser uh, with more information, Father, but that it would change our, our hearts and change our attitudes so that we might become more like your son, Jesus Christ, to the world around us. Father, we ask for your blessings now in this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first couple verses in Habakkuk really kind of give us the, the introduction to this book where Habakkuk is asking questions to God and asking the question, God, why don't you seem fair? If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Habakkuk. If you haven't already, we're going to be in chapter 1 this morning. But we're going to look at verses 2 and 3. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures this morning with you, they're in the pews in front of you. They'll also be on the screen behind me. But let's look at, at verse 2 real quick as we open up this idea. He says, he says Habakkuk writes, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. 
Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me. And there are that rise up strife and contention. You know, if you fast forward uh, from Habakkuk's day to our day today, uh, we ask kind of the same questions today. At least I have, and I've been guilty of, of asking these very same questions, uh, where we say, God, why is it that it seems like the bad people in this world are being blessed? And the good people, people who are Christians, people who are following you, or who are, who are, who are uh, doing what your Bible says, Father, why does it seem like they're the ones that struggle the hardest? But the people who, uh, who are bad, they seem to be living a blessed, uh, a wonderful life. Or we ask questions like, God, why is it that at work, the phony, uh, uh, unethical people, the people who, uh, 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 who are always sucking up to the boss and then turn around and, and, and slandering his name behind his back, why do those people always seem to be getting the promotions and getting the awards and, and I'm sitting here and I'm doing what's right and I'm ethical and I work hard and I get, seem to get passed over and over and over for a promotion or for an award? God, why does it seem like in this world there are bad people, and they live to a ripe old age of 102. Uh, but uh, uh, this young lady or this young man who's a, a father or a mother, uh, they're, they're, they're believers, they live for you, they're trying to raise their kids up in church, and they're trying to be good. And, 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 and while these bad people live to 102, uh, they die at 32 of cancer. God, why? Why is, why is it like that? God, why does it seem like uh, uh, all these other people, they seem to go on vacation every year, and, and, and I give, uh, and, I, and, I, and I'm sacrificial, I'm generous, and, and, I, and I, I obey through the tithes and offerings, and I give the faith promise missions, and it always seems like I, don't, I can barely pay the bills each, each month. Father, why does it seem like I'm battling sickness and depression and hardships? God, why are all these things happening when I, when I live for you? God, why don't you seem fair? Now, to clear the air about Habakkuk for a little bit, uh, some of our minds might wander and say, well, Habakkuk must have been like this like, uh, fair-weather Christian. Uh, uh, let, me, let me clear the air about Habakkuk and come to his defense a little bit. The truth is, is that Habakkuk really was a man of God. Habakkuk had a great, thriving relationship with God. But Habakkuk came to a point in his life where many of us might even be in here today. Habakkuk came to a point in his life where he crashed headlong into what I would call a wall of faith. And he had a crisis in his life. And he came, he came headlong, and, and, and what he saw going on around him didn't match up with what he believed about God and what he believed in his own heart. So he hit this wall. And Habakkuk comes to a crisis of his own faith. Some of you, I think, might be able to relate to that today. But what are we supposed to do when we hit that wall? What are we supposed to do? Well, today, I, I hope that, uh, and tonight, and Wednesday night, we're going to struggle with this, and we're going we're to wrestle with this idea of, of Habakkuk, and, and we're going to watch him as he wrestles with God over why doesn't God seem fair? And he's going to wrestle with his faith. But before we go any farther, I want to give you a little bit of background on Habakkuk. Now, Habakkuk, a lot of times, is not a book of the Bible we hear a lot preached from. Uh, uh, and uh, there's probably reasons for that. But Habakkuk, of all the prophets, he's one of 12 minor prophets. Uh, uh, he's, uh, he's the one that we know really the least about 
uh, concretely. We can make educated guesses, uh, but Habakkuk, there really isn't a whole lot of information out there uh, on him and his backstory and who his parents were and, and that sort of stuff. But what we do know, what we conjecture from, is that Habakkuk was most likely a, a temple musician. Uh, maybe he shredded a, a good ram's horn uh, in that temple. Uh, but he was a musician for a while, and then he, uh, he kind of uh, went into the priestly roles where he would uh, serve the temple. Uh, and then he became called of God uh, to be a prophet. Now, a prophet was an Old Testament position uh, where God would call out. He reached down and he would literally communicate with a single a person. And that person would then communicate what God had communicated to them to God's people. And he did that. Uh, uh, through all kinds of things. Sometimes it was visions, sometimes it was audibly. Uh, uh, other times, uh, uh, God would communicate different ways to his prophet, but his prophet would serve basically like an intermediate, an, uh, intermediate uh, uh, source of information because the, the, the Bible hadn't been completed at that time, and, and some of it was written down on scrolls, but God primarily would communicate uh, not necessarily through all his word and through uh, uh, Jesus Christ, who hadn't come on the scene yet. This was uh, back in what we probably would conjecture around 600 B.C., so about 600 years before Jesus came on the scene. Uh, 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 and uh, God would speak through his prophet. And it was necessary before the completion of the Bible. Uh, and during this time, Habakkuk lived in, in, a, in a really corrupt age. Uh, Habakkuk's time was, uh, it was filled with violence, uh, his, and, and I'm, I'm not talking about just the pagan nations around him. I'm talking about God's people. Uh, he lived uh, in a kingdom uh, that was of God's chosen people. And those chosen people who, who God had uh, saved from a life of slavery and given them their own land and, and given them his law and given them uh, 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 the things that they wanted and, and he withhold and he protected them, uh, there came a time when even God's people their culture was filled with violence and immorality and paganism and idolatry. And it came to the point where things were so bad in Habakkuk's culture uh, that literally the bad people were doing bad stuff to good people. And the good people, well, they really weren't even that good. They were just good by uh, maybe their, the, 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 a long-standing belief that they were good. They, even the good people weren't really all that holy. And God speaks to them, and he says basically to Habakkuk uh, in this chapter, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to punish you and punish the culture. Uh, I, I'm going to uh, correct you uh, like a father would correct his children. And I'm going to send an even more wicked people uh, who make you guys look like saints. I'm going to take those, that culture, and I'm going to let them run over you and destroy you and your culture uh, and, and, and take everything that I've given to you and bring you into bondage. And, and Habakkuk kind of loses it. He kind of hears God say this, and he's like, what? Well, you're, you're saying that we're bad, and the way that you're going to deal with it is you're going to get an even more worse people to destroy us? God, I don't understand that at all. I don't understand what you're doing. So here's where we are. What do you do? When what you see with your eyes doesn't match up with what you believe in your heart about God, what do you do? Well, I want to kind of illustrate something uh, for you this morning, and that's why this whiteboard is up here. Uh, but what I want to illustrate for you this morning, kind of, kind of the idea uh, of the visual cue comes from, I hope everyone's going to be able to see this, but the visual cue comes from 
uh, really a, a contemporary author. Uh, his name is Seth Godin. And Seth Godin, he kind of he comes up with this illustrative picture, uh, but he uses it in a different fashion. I'm going to use it in, in a spiritual context this morning, but he comes up with it, and he calls this the dip. And what I want to be able to kind of illustrate for you this morning uh, is what do you do uh, uh, with this crisis of belief? Now, we kind of look at this, this thing here, and we'll start down here. I'll use a different color kind of help you out a little bit. So we'll start down here. This bottom red X here will really represent a, a person who's living their life without Christ. They haven't come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They haven't repented, turned from their sin. Uh, they're living a life uh, like a majority of this world. That Maybe they have never heard the gospel before. Maybe they've heard it and they've said, I don't want nothing to do with it. Maybe they said maybe later when I get around to it, how, whatever it is, they're living a life without Christ. And, and it's down here on the bottom. But all of a sudden they meet Christ. All of a sudden, they hear a, a, the message of the gospel, and it clicks, and they turn from their life of living for themselves, and they come to Christ, uh, and, and they, they get saved. Uh, and what happens in their life is that they kind, of, they kind of go up the hill a little bit when it comes, and they come up to maybe about here, and, and somebody, they, they get saved, and all of a sudden, uh, their life begins to turn around, and all of a sudden, uh, the bad things in life, they start putting those things away, and they find out that God's word works, uh, and it begins to, 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 to reap blessings and a harvest in their life. They begin sowing uh, the right kinds of things, and they begin reaping uh, in their relationship. Maybe their marriage turns around. Maybe their kids come around. Uh, maybe uh, uh, all of a sudden uh, their, their, their job comes around, or they, they get rid of the, the baggage. They learn to forgive, uh, and, and their life begins to go uh, the way it should. And, and all of a sudden they start coming to church, uh, and the messages at church, uh, they're, start, they're, they're really speaking to them. Uh, they're learning a whole lot. They're, 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 they're soaking it up like, like, a, like a dry sponge under a, a faucet, and, and, and everything's going good. They, they get in the car, and, and they're on their way to the mall, and they turn on the radio. They start listening to music that honors God, and, and they're, man, this song is just, it's tearing me up inside, but in a good way, and, and they're driving, and, and all the lights just seem to be turning green, and, and they, they pull up to the mall, and, and praise the Lord, there's a, a spot that's, that's, that's open right in front of the door, and it's shaded, and it's in the middle of the summer, and things are just awesome, uh, and then they're serving God, and things are just great. And then all of a sudden, uh, they come to church, and, and then maybe one day, um, things don't seem to go so well, that they, they start missing all the lights, and, and, and when they come to church, they, they found out, oh, I had a flat tire here, and I got a change in the parking lot, and and, and they're listening to pastor preach, and it just doesn't seem to be speaking to them the way that it was, and, and, and maybe the music is just not touching their heart the way it was, and, and then all of a sudden, uh, tragedy strikes, and, and maybe, maybe they get sick, or somebody in their family does, and something serious happens, and, and, and maybe somebody dies, and, and it really, it's something really close to them, and, or maybe they lose their job, or they, they, they reach this hard time in their life, and, and, and all of a sudden, Everything just seems to be lacking, and, and they begin to go downhill into what uh, an author by the name of Henry Blackaby calls the crisis of belief. And they go through this crisis of belief in their lives where things are just not going the way that it, it should be, at least in their mind they believe it should be. Now, there's two common responses when you go through a crisis of belief. The first one is to just deny it wholeheartedly. 
It's kind of the idea of a, uh, I'll pick myself up by my own bootstraps. There are, there are, are contemporary authors that write on subjects of, of power, the power of positive thinking, and they, just, they deny really what's going on in their life they deny reality and say, no, I'm just going to stay positive and I'm just going to keep myself up and, and that's the way that it's going to be. And they, they, try to, they try to climb out of the gap and go back up here and they live this complete fantasy life. The other, one, the other common response is uh, when people will go from the crisis of belief, they'll go back down here. They say, you know what? If this God thing is going to be like this, I don't want anything to do with it. God, I thought you were going to bring me this and bring me that, and I thought life was going to be this, this picture over here that I came to, and, and I don't believe it anymore. Uh, I'm going to go right back to living like it was without, because I, I, don't, I don't like this anymore. It's getting too tough. And they go back down to acting or living like an unbeliever. And they go through these responses when they come to the crisis of belief. But I, what I want to kind of talk to you about tonight and Wednesday is when you're going through this crisis of belief, when you're going through what we would call the dip, most of people will respond in one of two ways. They'll live in denial or they'll just walk away from God. But what I want to show you from even from the book of Habakkuk is that there's a third option. And the third option is to go through the dip and to come out on the other side. And when you go through this crisis of belief, when you go through this seasons of doubt, actually the book of James kind of gives us an indication of that. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, he says, Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, a varied amount of trials in your life. He says to count them all joy. Why? Because he says when they're finished. You're going to be perfect. You're going to be content. God's going to bring you to a, a maturity, a new level in your faith that truthfully you probably would have never been able to experience had you not gone through to the other side. You know, the truth is, is that God may allow something to happen in your life, maybe this week, maybe uh, 20 years from now, maybe, maybe you've already been through something like this or through many things through your life, if you've lived for God any length of time. But God may allow something to happen in your life that through that hardship and through that trial, he's going to bring you to a new level, a new level of faith, a new level of understanding of how he, how he works, how your relationship is with him. But he's going to bring you to a new place that he could not have gotten you any other way. And when you go through this crisis of belief, I believe you're in Habakkuk chapter 1. Because Habakkuk chapter 1 is all about Habakkuk, Habakkuk's crisis of belief. But the, the, the tragedy I think that we face a lot of times, and I'm specifically talking to believers at this point, the tragedy that we face as believers is that all too many times, all too many times, people walk away from God at this point, this crisis of belief, instead of walking with him. And what I want to encourage you today is that when you're in the Habakkuk chapter 1 stage of life, again, Habakkuk chapter 1 is all about wondering. When you're in this wondering phase, this crisis of belief, what do you do? Well, Habakkuk's question, the one that he gives in chapter, in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, 
that doesn't go unanswered. Look at, uh, as we look at the scripture, look at verse 5. Verse 5 of Habakkuk chapter 1, God actually responds to Habakkuk's question. God, where are you? I see all this violence. You're making me see all these things. All these things are happening in my life. Where are you, God? God responds in verse 5. Verse 5, he says, Behold, ye among the heathen, and regard, and wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told you. God tells Habakkuk, Habakkuk, you're going to go through this time, you're going to go through this season, and I'm going to use a more wicked people than your own to destroy you and your culture and everything that you hold dear and you love. I'm going to destroy your way of life. And God says, Habakkuk, I'm going to show you something through it all. And I'm going to show you something so incredible, it's going to leave you awestruck. It's going to leave you uh, wondering marvelously. God, uh, Habakkuk, when you get to the other side of this, when your children get to the other side of this, they're going to step back in amazement and see what a great God that they serve. Look at verses 6. Habakkuk then responds to God's uh, uh, answer. Verse 6, he says, For lo, I raised up the Chaldeans. I'm sorry, this is God continuing to speak. For lo, I'll raise up the Chaldeans. That's the people that were even more evil than the people of God at this time. That bitter and hasty nation which shall march through in the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They're terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses are also swifter than the leopards, and they're more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen shall spread themselves, and their horsemen shall come from afar, and they shall fly as the eagle that hastes to eat. They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall uh, sup up as the east wind, and they shall gather the captivity as the sand. And they shall scoff at the kings, and the princes shall be scorned unto them. They shall deride every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. God tells Habakkuk, this is what's going to happen. And Habakkuk is stuck with his mouth wide open, catching flies. What? God, you're going to allow this to happen to us, to your people, to me? Why, God? It doesn't seem fair at all. Chapter 1, I said, is all about wondering. It's all about the crisis of belief. So what happens? What happens for us? When in your life, you're stuck in chapter one. Maybe you've had something happen in your life, maybe even recently, and, and, and you're left like Habakkuk was at the end of verse 10, with your mouth wide open, wondering, what? God, I've been serving you all this time, or God, I've, I've turned from uh, what was, and, and, and I'm serving you now. God, I'm trying to do my best. With our children, I'm trying to do our best uh, influencing our grandchildren. God, I'm trying to live for you in, in an ever-increasing culture. Don't you see it out there? Don't you see how wicked it is out there? And you see how hard I'm trying, God? And, and this happened to me, to our family, God? And you're stuck wondering. You're filled with questions, and those questions seem to be <coughs> getting no response. <clears throat> and the answers you seem to be getting from God 
And he's trying to answer you. They don't seem to make any sense. <clears throat> I guess the question is, can you still become, and can you still be a deeply committed believer and have all kinds of questions? Can you really be uh, at a level where you're going to have questions? <clears throat> Habakkuk's name, I forgot to mention this earlier, but Habakkuk's name actually means something. Back in, in Bible days, maybe your main name might mean something, but back in Bible days, everyone was named uh, uh, specifically for a reason. Habakkuk's name, if you translate it, literally means uh, to embrace or to wrestle. To embrace or to wrestle. <clears throat> Habakkuk starts off this, this chapter, this whole book, with, with one verse, and I skipped over it on purpose. Verse 1 says, The burden of Habakkuk the prophet did see. That Old Testament word burden is the idea of Massah. It means literally an utterance of doom. That's how Habakkuk's book starts off. The utterance of doom, which Habakkuk did see. And Habakkuk, probably like you, is really reluctant to share this message. He comes to God with all these questions. God, why is it that we live, up, live in a messed up world? God, why is it it seem like every time I turn on the news, God, it seems like there's a, a, another accident, and, and this time, once again, it's, it's, a, it's a, a drunk driver, uh, and it's not just, this isn't his first offense. He's, he's, done, he's done this three or four times already, and, and this time he killed a little kid. God, why, why does is that happen? God, we turn on the news, and, and, and once again, there's another school shooting. It's a kid bringing uh, his daddy's gun, to, and, 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 he, and he massacres all these kids, and God, I'm flipping through Facebook or I'm looking on uh, the internet and once again, it's another story of an out-of-control student who's beating up their teacher, beating up the kids in their, in their class. God, why does it seem like the, uh, terrorism is continuing to grow, Father? Uh, uh, these, these Christians, these, other, these people who are just like us, living in another country, uh, they're getting their heads chopped off and they're getting their, 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 their children are being uh, taken as slaves and they're being pushed into this, this, uh, this horrible situation. God, why is that going on? God, nothing seems fair. Where are you? you know, if you're taking notes, Habakkuk really had three major problems with God. The first problem with God is that he thought, uh, the first problem with God is that he says, God, you don't seem to care. You don't seem to care. I'm looking, I'm seeing all this, and you don't seem to care. His second problem was a little bit more respectful, but his second problem is that he, he said, God, you aren't doing much when you could. You aren't doing much when you could. It's a little bit more respectful. He, he understands God could do something, but he says, God, you're, doing much, you're not doing much when you could. The third major problem Habakkuk has with God is that he says, God, what you are doing, what you are doing doesn't seem fair. What you are doing doesn't seem fair. And in essence, Habakkuk comes to a situation in his life during this crisis of belief with what he saw with, what he saw with his eyes was didn't line up with what he believed. He says, basically, God, if I was in your shoes, I'd do things totally differently. I wonder, is there anybody that would be honest with me this morning, my hand's going to raise, that would say, I've been guilty of thinking or saying that 
Anybody else in here? God, if I was in your shoes, I think I could do a better job. There's hands all over the place. There's hands all over the place. Wow. Rick, is, is it okay to, to think that? Rick, are, are, are all of us that, that raise up our hands, are we only going to get like flat tires on the way home? Uh, and we're, we're going to have like, like hemorrhoids so bad we can't even sit down before service, and that's why we're not going to come back tonight? Is, is that what's going to happen? Like, seriously, is it okay to have questions? To, is it okay to question God? Is it okay to ask a question and say, God, what you're doing, it doesn't seem fair. Is that okay? I want to give you a, a little bit of, of, of what I think might be some good news. But before I do that, I, I, want to, I want us to consider really the weight of, of what we see in Scripture. Because this book's amazing. This book isn't just filled with a bunch of fairy tales. It's not like a, some kind of great epic that uh, if, we, if we understand the underlying principles, maybe we'll live better lives. This book is a chronology of 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 history, of prophecy, of things to come. This book, breathed out by the Holy Spirit of God through holy men, as they wrote, as the Holy Spirit prompted them to write what God wanted you and I to know and how to live and how to have hope and how to, how to respond when, when life doesn't seem fair. This book, it's filled with real-life people and real-life situations. Did you know that over a third of the Psalms, the Old, the Old Testament hymn book, if you will, a third of the Psalms is filled with Psalms that are nothing but questions? God, how long will you do this? Those of you that were in the auditorium Sunday, Sunday school class, you saw it again in prophecy. The people who have been slain say, God, how long are you going to put up with this? The book of Job, if you've ever read it, Job is a righteous man. He's living for God, and God allows situations to come into his life that are incredible. I hope you never have to experience the horror that Job experienced. But even Job, the righteous man of God, comes to a point in his life in a crisis of belief when he says, God, what's going on? I've served you all my life. Why? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? The wisest man ever written, uh, the wisest man who has ever written, who has ever lived, write a whole book called Lamentations, the cryings out of himself. In fact, even in the New Testament, our Lord and Savior, as he hung on the cross, dying and bleeding for the sins of the whole entire world to pay for your sin, to secure your uh, ability, your, 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 your right when God gives it to you, to be called the sons and daughters of God, to become heirs of the kingdom, to receive forgiveness of sins. When Jesus was on the cross, and, and it came to a point when all the sin of all the world, past, present, and future, your sin, my sin, their sin, was all poured out on Jesus. He looks up to his Father, and you remember what he says? It's a question. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken? to which he receives no answer. Even Jesus had a time in his life when he brought questions to God. And I believe, I believe that 
the, uh, the Word of God can teach us this through Habakkuk's testimony. But I believe that sometimes very sincere, honest questions to God from you is actually a very healthy, growing part of your faith. When you will have a time in your life when you will sit down and you will say, God, what is going on? I believe that Habakkuk's testimony through the whole book of Habakkuk, which we will see tonight and Wednesday, the whole book of Habakkuk can give us this freeing truth. And the freeing truth is this, that a deeply committed believer can express simultaneous questions and faith. That there can be a time in your life that when you're going through this crisis of belief, that there can be a time in your life when you can at the same time express questions to God and faith in God at the same time. A New Testament example in Mark chapter 9 is a, a father. I've been recently a father. Our daughter's 15 months now. She's growing like crazy, and I can't imagine this happening to her. But this father had a son, <clears throat> and he came to Jesus for help. His son, the Bible doesn't really talk about how old he was, but I'd imagine this has gone on for some time. His son was possessed by demons. And I know that's so very far-fetched for us because we feel like in our culture that sort of thing is over there and we live over here. But I'll tell you that that still happens in our world today. This young man was possessed by demonic forces so bad that this kid, Every time the family went out on a family picnic and they went to build fire and they were going to make some s'mores, the demons would rattle his body and they'd throw him into the fire and he'd get burnt up. And he'd have scars all over his body. And every time they went out uh, to enjoy the beach at summertime to build some sand castles and just get away from life, the demon would get a hold of that kid and just throw him into the ocean, try to drown him to death. Parents had to... Pull him out of the fire. Pull him out of the ocean. Save him. Their son, they'd be walking down the street, taking him to the market, just doing life. And all of a sudden, there'd be maybe something sharp, or maybe they're walking down those, those Roman roads of cobblestone and, and hard pavement, and all of a sudden, that, that demon would shake up that little boy's body and just toss him on the ground. Maybe break his, break his arm or cut his forehead. And you know, if you're, if you're like me, you're taking your kid to every doctor you can, you can think of, whether they're, they're, they're Christian or not, and try to find somebody who knows what's going on to fix this problem so your kid can just grow up like a normal kid. And this dad had done everything. In fact, this dad even had come to the disciples, the ones who were closest to Jesus and said, can you do something? And the disciples tried to do something. And in Mark chapter 9 says the disciples couldn't even do anything about it. And this guy's at the end of his rope. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, can you do something for my kid? And Jesus says, how long has this been going on? He says, God, it's been happening since he's been a kid. Can you do something? Jesus says, I can do something. But you're going to have to have faith. And the dad says, you need to see him mustering up the energy. 
God, I believe you can. But God, he says these words, help my unbelief. Maybe you're in the situation like that where you've gone and you've seen the experts. Or maybe you've had situations in your life when you've tried and tried and tried. You've just tried to make it work. You've tried to live with it. you try to get rid of it. And then you've just come to a completion that, God, will you just do something? And God says, I can do something if you've got faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. Because faith is what pleases God. And you say, God, I believe in you. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you can do something in my life. But God, I've been dealing with this for so long. Would you help my unbelief? There it is. The simultaneous question and faith. I believe that a deeply committed believer can express simultaneous questions and faith. Habakkuk demonstrates this really towards the end of the chapter. After God's reply to him in verse 12, he replies back. Habakkuk says in verse 12, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. There it is. A man of faith in a time of question. We shall not die, O Lord. Thou hast prepared them for judgment, and, O mighty God, Thou hast established them for correction. So what do you do? What do you do in the crisis of belief? Well, what's going on in your life, what you see with your eyes and experience with your life doesn't match up with what you believe about God, what you believe in your faith. I want to challenge you this morning that you do just one thing. You do just one thing. Tonight and Wednesday night, we'll look at moving forward. But at this point in your life, when you've come to a place, this crisis of belief, and you have so many questions, when you don't understand it all, what do you do? You do the Habakkuk. You do the Habakkuk. Remember Habakkuk's name? It means to embrace or to wrestle. When you come to this point, this crisis of belief in your life, you do the Habakkuk and you wrestle with God on the issue. You wrestle with God and you ask him your questions and you bring to him in his sincerity your petitions. You wrestle with God and you embrace Remember I said top two things happen? People just deny it and they live in, a, in this alternate fictitious reality or they walk away from God? What do you do? You move forward. Is you embrace God. You wrestle with him on the issues. You say, God, I don't understand this. God, I don't like it. God, it's hard. It doesn't seem fair. And you wrestle with him, but you hold on to him, and you never let go. Like Jacob, as he wrestled with the angel of the Lord all night long, I'm not going to let go of you until you give me a blessing. That's what you do. You don't walk away from God. There are no answers out there, only more hopelessness. You wrestle with God. You hold on to him, 
Because the truth is, God's about to do something in your life that if he told you what he was about to do with your life, you wouldn't believe it. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Here at Sunshine, we'll offer you this opportunity, what we call an invitation. Musicians will come up, someone will sing, but I don't want those to be a distraction to you because this is your time to respond. Because the reason why we get up and we preach the word of God is not only to honor the Lord, but be so that we can be changed. And the only way we can change is when we walk away from what we're doing now when we walk to what God says works. And one way that can happen is during this invitation, when you come forward, Pastor Dale will be here, I'll be up here, we have some workers, both male and female, that will be happy to take the word of God and show you how to deal with your problem. The number one problem that all of us have is sin. Sin is the thing that separates us from God. It brings hopelessness and brokenness to our lives, to our culture, to our community. And there's only one thing that can get rid of sin in your life, and that's the blood of Christ. And the only way that you can receive forgiveness of your sins, the only way you can be right with God, the only way you can have a God to wrestle and to hold on to is by accepting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe there's a person in here who's never accepted the gospel. Maybe you've heard the gospel. Maybe you've been coming to church. Maybe you've been playing church. Maybe your parents think you're saved. I don't, it doesn't matter. But you know in your heart of hearts that if you were to die today, that you would not meet God in a right way. That God knows you've been faking it. God knows you've been trying on your own. And he's not going to let you into his heaven. In fact, he'll say, depart from me because I never knew you. If that's you in here today, there's only one thing you can do. That's receive Christ as your Savior. God loves you. John 3.16, God says, I love the whole world. I love him so much that I gave my only son that whosoever believeth in him, what he did on the cross, how he died, how he was buried and rose again, if you believe on him, you will be saved. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you've already settled that in your own heart. And maybe this morning, you're living life and you're in the dip. You're at that crisis of belief. And maybe you're getting ready to just deny it. Maybe you're getting ready to just walk away from God entirely. Maybe you'll still come to church. Maybe you'll still sing songs, but you're not going to live for him. You're not going to do things his way. Let me encourage you. You can get right with God this morning. You can come to these steps, which we would call an altar. And you can present yourself and say, God, would you forgive me? God, I don't understand it. I don't like it, but I'm going to hold on to you again. 